Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 427. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Inside Science interview series, our guest today is Dr. Stephen Grant. Dr. Stephen Grant will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates The Science of CBD Anecdotes and Evidence. More details are available at our website. Dr. Stephen Grant is a neuroscientist at the National Institutes of Health and will be examining today what the research on cannabidiol or CBD has, or more importantly, has not discovered about this elusive chemical's potential benefits and risks. Of the more than 100 related chemicals found in cannabis plants, cannabidiol, CBD, has become almost as well-known as tetrahydrocannabidiol, or THC, the substance that gets you high. Seemingly, overnight, this has occurred. Now, widely available in retail stores and websites, CBD has suddenly emerged as a popular consumer product. But it has been difficult to demonstrate exactly what CBD does. It neither produces a high, like THC, nor does it have the same biological actions. And although promoted as a remedy for a wide variety of conditions, only one CBD product has received FDA approval for the treatment of a specific type of severe childhood epilepsy. Much remains unknown about the effects, mechanism, long-term consequences, and legality of CBD. So please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Dr. Stephen Grant. Dr. Grant has a brief disclaimer, and then we'll proceed with our interview. I prepared this interview and conducted this interview in my personal capacity. The opinions expressed in this interview are my own and do not reflect the views of the National Institute of Health, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the United States government. Dr. Stephen Grant, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Paul. Good to talk to you, too. I think this is a really important subject, and I, I think it's it's one that our Smithsonian audience is going to be very interested in. So we'll jump into that in, in just a moment. But why don't you tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation? I will be presenting a lecture to the Smithsonian Institute Associates on cannabidiol, which is a subject of great scientific um, interest at this point in time. It has um, a lot of promise as a therapeutic agent, but it's also embedded in a quagmire of legal issues that makes it unclear what is the status of this compound for consumers. And I will attempt to um, explain what cannabidiol is, uh, what it is as a drug, what it is as a chemical, um, what it is as a medicine, and what it is as a legal entity. Thank you. That, that's helpful to know that. I think my audience probably is going to know this uh, as uh, CBD, uh, cannabidiol, also known as CBD. And so why don't we get into some of the details of CBD? I'll, I'll use that, that acronym. Tell us a little bit about what CBD is. Um, Tell us a little bit about the history briefly and what exactly CBD does. So CBD is a chemical found in the cannabis plant. And there's a little bit of confusion right there because and cannabis is also known under another name, which is hemp. But it's all the cannabis plant. 
So CBD is a chem- one of hundreds of chemicals found in the cannabis plant that is in a family called cannabinoids, meaning they are chemicals found within the cannabis plant. Can- uh, CBD is the second most prevalent ca- uh, chemical in the cannabis plant after its more well-known um, molecular cousin, tetrahydrocannabinol, also known as THC, which is the chemical that produces the high that is most associated with chemicals, cannabis use. Interestingly, cannabidiol was discovered before THC. Even though cannabis has been used as a plant medicine for a very, very, very long time, thousands of years, uh, the active chemicals were not discovered until the mid-20th century. So cannabidiol was discovered in 1942, and then its chemical structure was not Um, described until 1963. This was about 20 years prior to the chemical isolation of tetrahydrocannabinol or THC. It was, there was some very early studies done in the um, 1980s that didn't make very much of an impact, but had indications that CBD might be a useful drug for seizures. In the the 1980s, the receptors, those are the parts of a cell where drugs bind and have their action, were described for cannabinol. Uh, And those Receptors were characterized in the 1980s and the 1990s and helped push forward the idea that THC has a direct effect in the brain. Up until that point, it was very unclear how THC worked. And then an an endogenous chemical, one that is manufactured um, inside the body, was discovered in 1992 that uh, that works at these two receptors. However, CBD does not work at those receptors. Those are called the uh, uh, cannabis receptors, CB1 and CB2. The interest in CBD reemerged in... uh, The early 2000s, around 2006, a young woman was born, and she suffered from intractable seizures as an infant. And through a web of circumstances, they tried CBD because nothing else was working to control this infant's seizures. And... CBD, a strain of marijuana, a strain of cannabis that had a high content of CBD, was bred. And when it was turned into an extract and given to the child, her seizures decreased remarkably. 
Deepak Chopra did a CNN piece on this in 2013, and after that, the interest in CBD skyrocketed, which then culminated in June of 2018 when the FDA approved a formulation of CBD for the treatment of intractable side childhood seizures, and it's called Epidiolex, and it's manufactured by GW Pharmaceuticals. So that is a recognized FDA-approved medicine for this, these particular types of childhood seizures. We are with Dr. Stephen Grant. Dr. Stephen Grant will be presenting The Science of CBD, Anecdotes and Evidence. It's an evening program coming up Thursday, February 20th at 6.45 p.m. We're going to put links in the show notes to where you can find out more information about the program. And Dr. Grant, Dr. Grant is a neuroscientist. Dr. Grant, from a neuroscientific perspective, what does the research tell us about CBT? What, what, what do we need to know about that? And are there any clinical trials aside from uh, the epilepsy study that, that you're referring to? Are, there, uh, have we, are we further down the path in understanding this CBD more regulatorily? We are well down the path of investigating CBD. The research on it has skyrocketed since the uh, indication that it might be useful as a medicine for seizures. Right now, there are, um, in clinicaltrials.gov, which is a publicly accessible website, there are 191 clinical trials listed. Uh, about half of those are active and enrolling uh, subjects. About 30 are not yet recruited. The rest um, are either active and not recruiting or some have been terminated and withdrawn. So there's a lot of work going on in this area. However, there has not been a clear consensus emerging as to how CBD works or what conditions it is effective for. So that research is ongoing. And in clinicaltrials.gov, there are about 319 conditions that have been listed for CBD that these um, trials are investigating. Virtually anything that you can think of it's been CBD has been pro- proposed to do that. And there, there are just a, there are an awful lot of myths out there about CBD as well as THC. But maybe give us a lay idea of how they're different, because I think these myths are confusing to audience. I think they're everyone is unsure of does it get me high? Does it provide analgesic benefit? What what are the, some of the myths? So CBD is very chemically related to THC. Carbon atoms form rings. And the difference between THC and cannabidiol is simply that one of those rings has opened up. And in cannabidiol, the ring is open. In THC, the ring is closed. That little bit of a chemical difference has profound effects on what these drugs do. THC gets you high. 
There's no doubt about that. Um, and although THC also has some medical indications, it's most well known for for people taking it to get high. Um, it also has sedative effects. However, CBD does not get you high. There is no evidence or there is no evidence from the ongoing data that CBD produces the kind of euphoria or high or sensory um, distortions that THC produces. So that has led a lot of people to think that it was safe. And then uh, in when the farm bill was enacted two years ago, Congress reclassified a particular strain of cannabis. Any cannabis plant that has less than 0.3% THC is now not considered to be covered by the Controlled Substance Act and is often referred to as hemp. So cannabis without THC effectively is hemp. That led a lot of people to believe that THC is legal, safe and legal, and could be used in foods, or it could be used in creams, or it can be used like a vitamin as a, as a supplement. And those are all the products that you're seeing out on the shelves these days. Recently, just last month, the FDA sent out a letter stating their position that those products are not actually legal, not because they're controlled substances, not because they have abuse liability like TAC, but because there is a prescription medication that has been approved by the FDA, Epidiolex, and because of that, the laws are such that CBD cannot be considered a supplement. You can't be both. You can't be both a supplement and a prescription drug. Nor can it be considered uh, a food additive because it's not generally recognized as safe, which is, has a particular legal definition. And, there, and nor can it be a cosmetic, a topical, because that's also covered under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. So this has thrown things into disarray. And my comment to everyone out there is, is caveat emporre, that there is no regulatory oversight over these products. And so there have been some studies conducted where they've taken products off the shelves and run chemical analysis, and the, re and the results have been disappointing in that some products have no CBD, some products have less CBD than what it says on the jar, some products have more CBD, some products have THC in them. Some products have other chemicals in them that are not listed. So this, this is a concern. This is a safety concern. This is a concern. And I think our audience is, um, will be well served to attend your event. Absolutely coming up um, 
the science of CBD, anecdotes and evidence. Though, Dr. Grant, where else would you direct our audience to go to understand some of the the facts about cannabidiol and and uh, and understand some of the benefits, but but also become more aware of this in general? I am biased. I would point people to the scientific literature. Um, in particular, you could look at the websites maintained by the National Institute of Health or look up research articles in pub in the PubMed site. Those would be the primary places that I would direct people to. The downside of that is those sites are not going to be as effusive or detailed or um, provide guidance in to consumers about what to take because the position is right now this is not something that one should take lightly. Dr. Stephen Grant, thank you so much for your time. We would love to have you come back sometime and maybe we'll we'll reach out to you in a couple of months as this is a ever evolving topic it seems, but I hope to put up some links to NIH and PubMed. Maybe you'll share some additional links with us. But again, Dr. Stephen Grant and our guest today, The Science of CBD, Anecdotes and Evidence, coming up Thursday, February 20th at Smithsonian Associates. Dr. Grant, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. And look forward to coming back when everything changes. I <laughs> would love to have you back. My thanks to Dr. Stephen Grant for his time, expertise, and thoughtful preparation in joining me today for a complex subject. My thanks always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. Of course, my thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please keep your emails coming to me at info at notold-better.com. Remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.